Good morning. Today's scripture is Revelation chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Wow, that sounds like I got some bass. That's all right. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption, and um, I am so grateful to be able to preach the Word of God. Let me be quick to remind you this morning that I will be judged more harshly because of what God has called me to do, that is to preach the word of God. One day I will stand before God for what I'm going to do this morning and what we try to do every Sunday. And everyone else who occupies this space will be judged more harshly one day. This is according to James chapter 3, verse 1. A good preacher is a faithful steward of God's mysteries and a fervent herald of his good news, someone writes. If you are with us this morning and you need a Bible or you forgot your Bible, the ushers will be glad to bring you one. Just slip up your hand. Uh, Kim is on this side and Justin's on this side. We'll get you a Bible if you need one because we're going to follow along uh, with me this morning. No shame here. Please get these, uh, get Bibles uh, if you need them. This morning, well, let me pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the hearts and minds in this room. Thank you for the, just the church as a whole. Heavenly Father, would you please use my voice this morning to teach, correct, convict, rebuke, challenge all the things that your word does so well. Would you make that possible this morning, Heavenly Father? And Lord, if I've asked too little this morning, would you put your super on my natural and let it work this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Meet me in the last book of the Bible this morning, Revelation. We'll be in chapter 4 and 5. Um, open there and just kind of hold that place as we begin. When I was a teenager, I... I spent a lot of times watching sports. 
Sports and announcers are some of the most wordy, wordy people in our culture, right? They have a way with words, sports announcers. They have a way with language. Their ability to create images in our minds is a gift. When I was in high school, I often had to go to bed early. We lived on the East Coast, so a lot of football games, a lot of basketball games, I ended up going to bed early and missing the end of games. And I was a huge sports fan, so sometimes I didn't get a chance to finish the games. That until I found out about sports talk radio. And I had a little Walkman. If you don't know what a Walkman is, <laughs> this ain't for you. <laughs> but the announcers, I would put my headphones in, and the announcers created and were able to make me see in my mind's eye. I saw the courts. I saw the fields across the country, whether they were in Foxborough Stadium or they were in Candlestick Park or they were in Jack Murphy Stadium, Dave, I see ya, right? All while I was laying in my bed in Maryland. They would, see, they would say things like, you know, sports announcers would say things like, that was amazing. What an incredible catch or what an incredible throw. I can't believe what I just saw right? It was all hyperbole, and it was all exaggerated language, but they were describing sports and things that I had never been to, I'd never seen, I hoped to be, to be playing one day, right? What they did for me was created a picture or pictures of places and things that were happening so I could put them inside of my mind. This morning, I want to spend some time because the, the passages we're going to read are the places in the Bible, the places in Revelation, here we are, we're, we're there now, right? Where things start growing heads, seven eyes here, this thing has a wing, and it's supposed to have a wing, but I want, <laughs> right? But I want you to close your eyes this morning, and let me read into your hearing chapter four of Revelation. So if you just shut your eyes and see what kind of picture comes to your mind. John writes in chapter 4, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments. Can you see it in your mind's eye? With golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of light and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, at, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Can you see it? Around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, 
and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave, give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your Will they existed and were created? Open your eyes. Do you have a picture in your mind? Can your mind conceive of what I just read? It seems almost impossible that these things that we've never seen or no one's ever seen are in there. This morning, I'm going to walk you through an observation, interpretation, and application of what we are looking at here while answering three questions. What's happening here? How is this true, and why is this all happening? In the passage, God has opened a door to heaven, and John is looking at things that are amazing. They are amazing. Things he had never seen, few things he had ever seen before, right? If you were to slip yourself into John's sandals right now, he is looking at this, and I'm, I'm thinking, is he furiously writing as he's looking, or he, is he just savoring it, taking it in, and then going back to write, right? Five, what's happening here? Let's go verse by verse as much as I can and help you put the picture together so you can see it. Jesus is the one speaking to John. His voice, the Bible says, is like a trumpet. He calls to John and he says, come, let me show you what must, what must happen. John sees a door, not the door in heaven. He sees a door. Not, he sees the door not into the heavens, plural, but heaven, singular. And what he sees is truly astonishing. John's in the spirit, meaning the vision that he's getting is from God. And he's in a place that he's able to conceive, he's able to see, he's able to pick up, and he's able to, to kind of keep, right? God is revealing one of his great mysteries. God is center stage in this in this vision, he's distinguished by the throne that he's sitting on. The throne is important in this here because it is a symbol of sovereign majesty and kingdom. It's a, it's a symbol of a king who is majestic, who rules. The word throne, by the way, I just read, appears 13 times in these few verses in this little chapter. God is a majestic king who rules and judges. By the way, my brothers and sisters, what John is seeing, don't miss this, is timeless. It's without time. Put this in your back pocket for right now, right? Isaiah in, in the Old Testament sees the very same throne and, and, and the very same vision from God 700 years before. The scene is still going on. 
700 years. We'll get to that. In Isaiah chapter 6, God also shows, in Ezekiel chapter 1, God also shows the prophet Ezekiel the same thing about 500 years prior. When God gives these prophets windows into heaven, they are stepping into a timeless period. I mean, I even hesitate to use the word period or a scene. One scholar says this, that the person who's seated on the throne looks like precious stones. Reflecting light, the person on the throne is encircled by a radiant rainbow. The, I, think, I don't think rainbow does, does justice to the word here. Halo is probably a better word to use. The bright light that is like an emerald, right? The bright green precious stone that he's, that, that he's looking at serves as a prism to reflect light, which then gives the rainbow effect. Can you capture this in your mind's eye? He's looking at a throne, and around this throne is a halo of rainbow, and, this, and, and the person in, in, on the throne is so shiny and so bright, he can't barely look at it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible describes Jesus as dwelling in unapproachable light. This is what John is seeing. In 1 John chapter 5, John describes God as God is light. Next time you read passages like this, please don't think when you, when, you, when, you, when you hear unapproachable light, please don't think light bulb. A light bulb can't cover this light. I want you to think precious stone, reflection, right? Think bright, unapproachable light. Think, think the sunrise in the east when you're standing on Tumamak and you're looking at it. Verse 5, kind of, verse 5 walks us through this, but it tells us what it is. Verse 5 says this, from the throne which came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder, right? We know that. But verse 6 says this, and before the throne, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. In the ancient world, the sea was a great mystery, and it still kind of is these days. It was more of a mystery than it is now, right? It was, it was thought of as it's very, it's this very chaotic place, this unknown deep where creatures that we couldn't describe dwelled, right? Uncontrollable storms govern the seas. But before this throne, before this throne, it is calm. The sea has been calm. God is communicating his power over nature, over natural phenomenon, his command over the deepest mysteries that we can't solve, the deepest unknown, right? Uh, a restatement of a story. He's restating this story that is in other places in the Bible. If you read your Bible, you know Matthew 8 and Mark chapter 4, it says Jesus calmed the storm. When the Israelites walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, God is proving the same thing. I am in charge of nature. Between John and the throne, there is water. Calm sea, water. One writer says this, he says, the sea, the glass sea before the throne, in order for worshipers to get to the throne, it is necessary for them to go through the sea or to go past the sea. So in order for you to get to the throne that he's looking at, the water separates us. The crystal sea, my brothers and sisters, is a baptismal font. Baptism was and is the entrance into the worshiping community of Christians. 
The waters of baptism, like the Red Sea and the Jordan River, are which through, through which people walk through, right? Leaving behind an old way of life and entering a new one, miraculously alive and cleansed. That's the deeper meaning here. But here's where it gets clear, and here's where it gets wild, right? The next verse. Around the throne, each side of the throne, there are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and with them day and night, and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is who, who was and is and is to come. Some of y'all are saying, this is why I don't read Revelation and stuff like this, right? I told you the story last week. I remember there was a pastor's wife and the late and her assistant were walking one day and they were discussing and I overheard her saying, I don't read Revelation because every time I read it, something's growing a second head, right? The whole scene that John is looking at is a depiction of worship. The one on the throne is worthy of worship. Everything and everyone will worship the one on the throne. God is worthy to be praised. Question is, is this true? Is this true? Short answer, yes, right? Is this the answer you're looking for? Can you tell me more? We pay you, Marcus, the big bucks. Tell us. (laughs) Tell us. In the end, this is what we're looking for, the answers we're hoping for. We're hoping for safety, something greater than we are. What makes this true? I'm going to give you two reasons why this is true. These are not the only reason. The first reason is this passage is not sentimental. When we think of our life after death, particularly here in the West, we tend to get wishy, meaning we wish and we hope. We tend to get sentimental, right? We project and we hope. We prefer the God we want and the heaven we want and not the God who is. Our view of heaven sometimes is informed not by the Bible, but by classic or popular literature or pictures or art and things like that. The scene that John is writing about here, through, and, and by the way, throughout the book of Revelation, is not very sentimental, meaning it's not warm and fuzzy. When you look at this, you're like, I don't know what's happening here, but it's something fearsome. The scene that we're looking at is a scene, it's about power, it's about majesty, it's about judgment, it's about worship, it's about awe. In this chapter, there are elders, not people. In chapter 5, there's a slain lamb, there's a lion, there's lightning and thunder, there's a great God separated by a calm sea. See, with God, most things are not what we would expect. And when what we can what we can't assume and, and anticipate, we can kind of make it up and say, "Oh, I, I would like it to be this way when I get to heaven." It's always the opposite of what we would expect. But I will say this about heaven. I will say this about God. He is wise. He is creative. He's expressive, and it's always beautiful and awe-inspiring. It's not sentimental, but it's real. 
Everything is brought under the authority and control of God. In the end, what we all long for, the safety we long for, and the security we long for, God can provide. He's an all-powerful, sovereign God who is in control of everything, including the things we fear. He's in charge, and it's clear that he's in charge. All the mysteries get settled. God has placed eternity in each of our hearts. You know it. And I know it. A few years ago, I did a funeral um, in Denver. It was a funeral of a a 25-year-old young lady that I had had lunch with on a Wednesday afternoon. And I got a call on Thursday morning that she had been shot and killed. Less than 24 hours. And I'm doing this funeral, and we're doing it. I'm going. It's, 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 it's a gang funeral, right? Because she was, she was coming. She had just came to the Lord out of a gang life. We're talking bloods and crips, right? And, and at our church, the, 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 the vigil was happening, and people were coming. It was, it, was, it was real because she had been killed four streets from where the church was. And, and I'm trying to do this vigil. I remember Annie sitting at the front desk of the church, and I'm, and I'm welcoming these people in, all dressed in red, all dressed in blue, and, and, and they have conflict, and you could tell the energy in the room was different. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, I got to do this. I got to do this. And as, as we're walking through, a lot of them were seeing, expressing things about their mortality, but they were sentimental. I remember one guy walked in, true story, and a gun fell out of his sweatpants. And I told Annie, you should take Lou and, and, and go. They wanted eternity to be true for them. Our deep desire is for this to be true, for heaven to be true. But we want it to be true based on our sentimentality. But God says it is true. It is better than what you've conjured up. It's not only better, it's shockingly better than anything you've seen. Is disruptively better than anything you have or can prepare for. When I had conversations with the, the folks who were still in the gang life, they would say things like, man, when my funeral comes, I will see her in heaven. Right? I, I, I will see this person in heaven. And sometimes it's hard for us pastors. Let me just open the window just a little bit. When we do a funeral of someone that wasn't walking with the Lord, right? people want it to be sentimental. Sometimes it's not. In Augustine's book, The City of God, he writes, in the end, there are two cities, he says. Two loves built two cities, the earthly, which is built by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly, which is built by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. What he's saying is, sometimes what we want, what we hope God is, and what we wish and project God is, is not the God who is. That this picture of heaven that you're getting is true because it is consistent with God's being and character. Heaven is occupied by, occupied by people who love God, people who love to worship God, and God is at the center of their lives. It's a place where the occupants are happy to worship the one who sits on the throne. It is so awe-inspiring that everyone who is in that place has to worship. You have to surrender. It is so awe-inspiring. It's true because everyone has the freedom to worship. No one is forced to worship. And that is consistent with the character of the loving God. The second reason why this is true is because it is timeless. The scene that God has pulled up open in front of John is this vision is a timeless scene. It's in a place in an existence where 
this place where a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. That's why they're singing the same vision for 500 years. On our side, we see it as 500 years, but on their side, it's timeless. When you go to heaven, you won't need your watch. In Isaiah chapter 6, the same vision God shows to the prophet Isaiah when he's commissioning him. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and a train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Everything we read in, in Revelation, by the way, is somewhere else in the Bible. So don't need to be afraid. Go ahead and read it. Isaiah chapter 6 takes place, it says, in the year that King Uzziah dies, 750 years before this particular scene. God reveals this to the prophet, and in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, hundreds of years before, he says this. Some of us here this morning <laughs> will correctly ask the question, and it's, and it's worth asking. So the elders and the angels are worshiping God for hundreds of years? They've been singing that same song for, 100, for hundreds of years? If you're asking, it's a, it's a legit question to ask. I can't even sing the same song for 20, for 20 minutes. You ever have a song stuck in your head for the whole day? You can't imagine singing something for hundreds of years. Right? Are they singing for hundreds of years? Yes and no. For us, it's been that long, but for them, their environment and existence is out of time. Meaning, not out of time, meaning they've run out of time, meaning it's timeless. Where they exist, time does not exist. It's immeasurable. It's truly unfathomable. Are you getting what God's communicating here? Right? God is saying clearly that I am in control of nature, something that you can't control. I am God who is worthy to be praised, right? It's true because the people and the prophets across centuries have seen the same vision. God is the same, he says. He writes in the Bible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The connections throughout the, Bibles are, throughout the Bible are too congruent, right? These four timeless choruses that these people sing from chapter 4 and chapter 5 have been put to music for all of us to enjoy, right? They're singing these same songs. These songs are clearly, the theme is, God is worthy to be praised. In the second half of chapter 6, it says, here's the people that are around the throne. I've already read it, right? These are the people, these are the, the living creatures that are around the throne, when you read this, when I read this over the summer, I thought, how am I going to preach this? Living creatures. This is where I think, <laughs> this is where I think sometimes artists can fail us, right? Many well-meaning Christian artists have tried to bring these creatures to canvases or put on a mural or Wednesday night Bible studies and the results are, let's just say, they're less than good, right? If you look at you know, the eyes everywhere, you look at these wings, because our mind can make sense of it. Your brain can't comprehend because you know creatures aren't supposed to look this way. That's because these creatures he's describing are indescribable. John is doing his best to describe the indescribable. They are behind, they are beyond human kind of conception, right? God is communicating to John that 
This is something very grand. Here's what he's saying. He's saying these living creatures, by the way, they are living creatures. Living. See, God is separating himself from the emperors and the kings of that day. Where, when, when, when you walked into palaces, you would see stone lions and stone eagles or gold eagles and things. But those weren't alive. God is saying, I'm in control and these creatures in front of me are alive. Right? Wild beasts, kings and emperors would do this, but they would manufacture their grandeur. I'm not manufacturing this. I am in control of this. In God's presence, not only are they alive, but God has control of them and they are worshiping him. One commentator says this. He says, the four creatures are all aspects of creation. The noblest, the lion. The strongest, the ox. The wisest, the human. The swiftest, the eagle. But they are all under the control of God. The chaos of the animal kingdom, nature and supernature, creation and covenant, right? Elders and animals are all gathered. All creatures of my God and King, lift up your voice and sing. That's what that's capturing. That's what John's trying to tell you. Everything will worship God. God is worthy to be praised. So why is this all happening? Why is this all happening? This is a timeless worship of God. Our life is centered on worship. Our lives, let me say that clearly. Let me slow down a little bit. Our lives is centered on worship. We all worship something. We worship, some of us worship celebrities. I used to worship athletes. Some of us worship money. Ask yourself this question. If there is something, that I, if there is something in your life that you, that you say to yourself, if I lose this, I can't go on with my life, that's what you worship. We worship things that God created or things that we created. And here is God telling us and saying, timelessly communicating to you and I, that I am worthy of your worship. This is all happening because God is worthy of our worship. In chapter 5, as we close in chapter 5, there is a desperate scene in chapter 5. Let me read chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, I think. John says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. If you pick me up, this, is this, this scene, that this next scene that John sees is desperate. No one can open the word of God. No one can do it because no one can interpret what they're looking at, what John is looking at. Everybody's looking for a reason to say, can, I, can, can you show me what's happening here? Can someone open the seals and explain it to me, right? This is a desperate and dramatic call. Who can open the scroll? 
The scroll here obviously, rep- obviously represents the scripture, right? It's almost always the word of God when we hear the word scroll in scripture. Who can read the word of God is the question. No one, the Bible says, in heaven or on earth or under the earth. There are tears and desperation. The angel is looking for someone to open the scroll. Someone needs to tell us what this says because someone needs to be able to interpret this for us. In short, we need a mediator, a translator, an interpreter, someone to open this and help us understand what we're looking at. No one can open it. This, if it's open, will unlock the mystery of what I'm seeing, right? What are we experiencing? Help, the angel is saying to John, help in this vision. The only one who can open it. is the one who in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That's John chapter 1, explaining Jesus, who Jesus is. John writes, he says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, the root of David, and he has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. Here's what John has done. He's pulled you and me into the timelessness of this passage, of this vision. Jesus is the only one who can interpret, explain, and bring us to the throne, bring us into the presence of the Father. He is the only one. So I borrowed the phrase from the great American philosopher, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Can you smell what God is cooking? Some of y'all just got it. I'm God. He is worthy. Jesus, in his life, showed you that he was the light. He is the light. And he is the word. He's the one that is capable of opening it and reading it. He is the one in the future who's doing it as John is seeing in the future. For us, it's the future. He is Jesus who we know as in the past. Are you getting confused yet? Right? He is the one that Ezekiel talked about who was to come, who came, and who is setting us up and opening up the scroll in the future. But it's for us, it's, kinda, it's in the future for us, but for them it's always happening. Are you pulled into the timeless just yet? Sing, oh church, sing. Right? God is more than you ever imagined. He is worthy to be praised. Someone's going to say amen, but I'm going to keep going. This my brothers and sisters, it's an invitation to worship, an invitation to be a part of what is happening in a timeless place. But this is kind of obscured from our vision right now, but it's deeply embedded in our souls. The life of worship, a part of this great chorus that people are singing, every living creature is singing, thousands and thousands, the Bible says, are singing these four incredible songs in these two chapters. God is telling us, you and me, brothers and sisters, to reserve our worship for him and him alone because he is worthy to be praised and worshiped. Did I say that already? As I close this morning, how many of you guys are familiar with a to-go plate? And I'm, I'm, what am I, where, where do I live? When you go to a party and there's food, you know, you pack yourself a to-go plate because there's another meal. Oh, the food was so good. Right? You go to a barbecue, man, that chicken was good. 
Don't judge me, right? You pack a to-go plate. Here's your to-go plate this morning. I was on I was on a call this morning. I was on a call last week discussing this very passage. And one of the pastors said to me, "This is my favorite chapter of the entire Bible, chapter five, Revelation chapter five." And as I was studying it, right, I came to the conclusion that man, it is right up there. Revelation chapter five. After studying it. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think I can use the same, I, can, I don't think I can use the word amazing and awesome to describe food anymore. God gives John this vision to communicate his transcendence, his timelessness, his glory, his vastness, his majesty, his overwhelming everythingness, if that's a word. When we are desperate in this season for answers as to what is happening in the world around us, Someone were crying out, please interpret the word for, please interpret the world for me. What am I experiencing right now? Why is the world this way? Can someone help us? Nothing seems to make sense. And the world is not what it's supposed to be. But it's all somehow strangely familiar. But we keep going deep down and knowing that something is wrong, something is off in our world, which is supposed to be getting better, but it's not. We're crying out, can someone open the scroll and read it for us? We need help. We have this deep desire for eternity, for immortality in our hearts, but we're not sure where it comes from. John Davidson Hunter wrote a great book called To Change the World. He describes our world today as Christ-haunted, meaning we know someone can solve the problem. We know there is a problem. We know there is something going on, but we can't seem to get to the answer. We can't seem to figure out where, who will solve this problem, who will solve all of the problems. The residue of Jesus Christ is everywhere. His handprints are everywhere, but we, we, we don't want to look at it, but we know we're missing something. The year after I lost my mother, I had that same kind of feeling, right? It was, it's not ghostly, but it's like it's, it was familiar. Like, my mom is gone, man. Who's going to help me wash my clothes? Who's going to help me do this? I knew there was somebody. I knew there was somebody who cared, who loved, but that person was missing at that point. I started to get those same kind of feelings that you get right now. Like, man, this ain't supposed to, this is not what it's supposed to be. Who can solve this problem? I know someone whose words will comfort me right now. We all know someone whose words will comfort us right now. Whose presence we would need to feel to be able to handle what is happening, what is strangely missing. Our world just feels that way sometimes. God offers us a, a, a great doorway into Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, Jesus' glory, Jesus' intimate and everlasting, mysterious connection with the Father. He is standing beside the throne. And he's the one who's able to open the scroll. He and the Father is, are one. John is writing down, and he's trying to express the unexplainable. He's trying to put words to glory, right? As, as you read and study, you see this man, you're waiting for John. I'm just waiting as I read this, as I read Revelation, I'm waiting for John to say the same phrase that I've always said. I can't believe what I just saw. You go to sleep tonight knowing that I want you to know that you are on his side and he is on your side. That great, majestic, shining light on the throne is your God. Your prayers are captured. 
Your pain is not minimized. God created you and he will sustain you. He is a greater God than you and I could ever conjure up in our imagination. You are, part, you are all part of this timeless chorus of people singing these songs to the great God who created everything. You and I were made to worship. God is worthy to be praised. Would you bow your heads? Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your peace that surpasses understanding. We thank you for revealing yourself in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Would you take away our fear and, and show us your security, your comfort, your timelessness? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.